You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, world, and welcome to Tales from Hollywood Land, a veritable feast of movies, Broadway, showbiz stories, news and gossip, with Julian Schlossberg, Arthur E. Friedman, and Stephen J. Rubin. Today, we talk all about the AFI Top 100 list. And now, here's Julian, Arthur, and Steve. Hey guys, the American Film Institute, we could do a whole show on the meaning of the AFI, but it is one of the more respected educational uh, organizations in the country. Uh, I believe it was started uh, with a lot of good work by George Stevens Jr., son of the great film director George Stevens. The idea of having a federally sponsored organization that helped young film students. I mean, there have been a million uh, film schools around the country, but I think AFI is considered one of the best, real hands-on training. Uh, and the nice thing about AFI, since it's located in Hollywood, so many famous people have come through AFI, both as mentors and as students. And of course, when somebody's putting together a list of the greatest movies of all time, the AFI list is considered respectful, but we are going to be a little disrespectful today. I'm sure we all agree that uh, we have the highest esteem and respect for the AFI. They're a tremendous organization uh, and represent uh, the film world uh, as best as, as anybody possibly could. By the way, Lyndon Johnson was the president when uh, this all started in 1967 or 1969, the AFI, a uh, highly respected uh, uh, organization. They do make a top 100 list, and uh, that's something that we, we're going to look into today. I reviewed it thoroughly, as I'm sure we all did. Uh, and in reviewing it, I noticed that Dr. Zhivago was not on the list of what top 100 films. Dr. Zhivago, of course, is the masterwork of David Lean, along with Bridget of the Require and Lawrence of Arabia and maybe Ryan's daughter. But Dr. Zhivago, to, to not be on the list of, of top 100 films, if it was made by someone named Jane Doe or Joe Doe, I'd say, well, okay, you know, but uh, AFI, hard to, to believe that that one is off. So I looked in further. And here are some other films that are not on the AFI's top 100 list. And then we'll go over all kinds of stuff and and uh, uh, here they are. I mean, just some some movies that should be on there, in my opinion, and are not on the list. Close Encounters of a Third Kind um, should be on that list. Third Man, not on the list. Paths of Glory, not on the list. The Great Escape. Patton. Stalek 17, Billy Wilder, Witness for the Prosecution. These are missing titles from the top 100 list. Hard to believe, but it, they're missing. A little movie called Moonstruck should probably be on that list. If you take a look at all of the hundreds that are listed, it, I think it belongs. The Longest Day, great, great movie, not on the list. Uh, Driving Miss Daisy, On Golden Pond. These are all titles that are not on the list I'll put three out there that I think should be on the list. Rain Man is not there. Bugsy by Barry Levinson as well, not there. And The Natural. Also a picture called Chariots of Fire. So the big question becomes, what happened that these pictures are not on the list? It's kind of interesting. Julian, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are a few. Number one, the idea that it's only English language right off the bat eliminates the greatest, some of the greatest filmmakers that ever lived from Truffaut to Fellini to Bergman and some of the greatest movies ever made. So we'll say, okay, we'll give them a pass on that. American Film Institute, we're going to become, uh, make America great again, I guess, and we're just going to be American films. Number well, two. They, Julian, maybe they have a list of top foreign films, though. It's possible, but it's separated. Well, they, they list, they list um, this as the top American films of all time. So that's their caveat. Actually, it really depends, Steve, where you're looking. Some of it just say AFI, top 100 movies. Most of the time, that's the heading. 
They don't say American. But anyhow, it's English language. We know that. That that we're, we're aware of. And according to what I was able to find out, it has a lot to do with things like how important the film has held up within the public, what the critical reaction was to it, at least initially. And uh, 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 most importantly, I guess, uh, where where it stands, I guess, in history. Uh, what it meant culturally. But you see, what it meant culturally to me has changed so. So the question is, you take a movie like Easy Rider, which is on the list. Easy Rider, to me, is not a well-made movie. It's a It changed a lot of things culturally. All of a sudden, Arthur and I were deep in the in the business, and everybody was making small movies all of a sudden after the success of Easy Rider. It couldn't have necessarily been under the critical area, but it could have been under the cultural change. So, okay, that's what we have. I have one of my favorite movies of all time is Gigi, one of the greatest musicals ever made with a great cast, unbelievable production value, unbelievable score, and not listed. Tough for me. I love singing in the rain. That's my favorite, but boy, Gigi is right up there. How it cannot be. But here's the problem, guys. They do do, and it's correct, they do do a list of 100 great musicals, 100 great comedies, 100 great romances. At least that, to me, makes sense. That's at least going against one against another, not apples, oranges, pears, and bananas. All apples, all bananas. That's what it should be for me. That I agree with you 100%, Julian, because also I noticed the list is very, very um, light on science fiction. It's also very light on comedy and almost no thrillers. There's just a few. And uh, I, I, uh, for instance, how could you not put Die Hard on the list? Die Hard spawned a thousand uh, similar movies over the years. And for me, Die Hard just changed the the nature of thrillers, the way they are presented, uh, and it's not on the list. So, I believe that I believe that uh, as far as musicals concerned, if they have a separate list, West Side Story they list number fifty-one on this list, and so there's your musical breakthrough. I think Sound of Music is on here too, as it should be. Yes, um, you know, and so, Singing um, in the Rain. You got you can't and Singing in the Rain. These are musical pictures, so. To not have a Gigi on there doesn't make sense. So that's a whole other part of, of, of what we're going to talk about here. And that is what they do have on the list. Uh, and we understand that a lot of this is subjective. But, you know, I don't know. I, it would seem to me the AFI would, would make an objective uh, choices. <clears throat> but I look here on the top ten. And here's the way they list the top ten. Citizen Kane, The Godfather, Casablanca. You can't. It's hard to argue with any of those. Uh, Raging Bull, I believe it belongs in the top 10. Sing of the Rain, yeah. Gone with the Wind, for sure. Lawrence of Arabia, yes. Schindler's List, they have number eight. Wizard of Oz, number 10. And Vertigo is number nine. Uh, subjectively, I would really debate that. Uh, I know a lot of people say, oh, it's the greatest movie ever made. No, it's not. I mean, in that person's opinion, it might be, but please. Well, Vertigo was a box office bomb when it opened. It's only been uh, considered a classic probably over the last 20 years. 1958, uh, he did so badly that Hitchcock completely dove into making his next movie a, a blockbuster. And, of course, that was North by Northwest, probably one of the most entertaining movies of all time. And, of course, North by Northwest is on the list at 55. Well, um, let's move it up to nine. I agree. I would replace <laughs> Vertigo with North by Northwest nine times out of ten. I think Dr. Zhivago could be number nine faster than anything. Uh, you know, it's not on the list at all. Um, again, th- these things perhaps are subjective opinions, but a picture like Dr. Zhivago or Close Encounters of a Third Kind have to be in the top 20 on this list they're not on the list. Well, it is so, subjective. It is subjective. Uh, clearly, it's personal and subjective. But the criterion, you don't, they really, it's, as I said earlier, this criterion is rather strange within itself. Um, uh, 
citizen. I mean, I've seen lists. I bet you all have where vertigo where vertigo is number one. Yeah, number well, one. you know. So uh, I don't know what one of the things I'd like to talk about is from your from all our points of view, including Mike. What are the movies that you feel? Are, should be on that have not been put on besides what Arthur and I said. Do you two guys have any films that you feel should have been included besides, as you said, Steve, science fiction? Well, if you're going to do science fiction, it, for me, it starts with the original The Day the Earth Stood Still, which has a timeless quality about it. Now, that's 1951. For many years, science fiction movies did not have great respect. It wasn't until the beginning of the 1950s, which kind of followed the flying saucer craze that all of a sudden Hollywood woke up and said, we got to start making these science fiction movies for the kids. And I think the young audience embraced them enormously, as did I. Um, But that's one movie that really jumps out at me that was not on the list. And like I said, there are there's only a couple of science fiction movies on the list. You've got typically you got 2001. And uh, Star Wars, uh, but De- uh, Arthur's right. I don't see any Close Encounters, and that was a real, real terrific film. Um, I think they have. I think they have Blade Runner on, I which think. always mystifies me. And with all due respect to Ridley Scott, who is a master filmmaker, I would replace Blade Runner with Gladiator any day of the week because I found Gladiator vastly entertaining, and I find. Blade Runner, very dull in patches, and I'm probably going to get attacked. But they do have it at 97, just for, you know. Yeah, I mean, visually, it's a stunning movie, and certainly it uh, it is a a visual feast. But story-wise, I found it to be such a dreary movie. Uh, But I can't, you know, uh, that's just one reporter's opinion. But another, another part of the conversation are the numbers on the listings, example. The French Connection that they have is number 93. Guys, yeah. French Connections are, should be way way up on the list, not a 93. Also, that's that's William Friedkin. If you got, you've got French Connection, where's The Exorcist? The Exorcist was a huge movie in its day and still continues to be studied. Uh, I would think that The Exorcist would be on that list. Uh, yeah, I don't know that they're doing it by box office. Uh, I no, think they're you know, not. They're definitely office. not doing it by box office. Chinatown is number 21, might be a little higher than that. The Graduates, number 17. Sunset Boulevard is number 16. That certainly deserves a top 20 uh, film. Uh, Space Odyssey is number 15. Well, we can we can talk about that. What do you all think of Space Odyssey? <laughs> I'm, still trying, I'm still trying to figure it out after all these years. Yeah, me too. Uh, I have to say, I was told, I don't know how true it is, that Kubrick called the computer Hal because he took the letters before IBM. I-H-A-L. I hope that's true. I think the success of 2001 is directly related to the rise in the use of hallucinogenic drugs. Because most of the people who went out and said it's the greatest movie of all time were higher than a kite. Steve, we, we had the Harvard Square Theater in Cambridge. We played it as a midnight show on a Saturday night. Went into the theater, and my God, the entire theater was pot smoke. <laughs> and everybody was like, they weren't, they weren't sitting in their seats. They were laying in their seats. Hey, I baby, think you had to be high to understand what the movie was about. I think yeah. even Kubrick had trouble explaining it. But it was visually stunning. Um the special well, it was effect. great during the prehistoric time at the beginning. I understood banging the rocks and the rock goes in, and that was great. But after that, <laughs> <laughs> but I played it at the Ziegfeld Theater, and at, like the Harvard Square, we had a fumigate at the end of the evening. <laughs> I mean, you would walk into that, you'd walk into the theater, you could be absolutely sober. There's no way you could stay there 10 minutes and not get high. No, it's impossible. So I ran out. <laughs> well, back to back to things like Vertigo at number nine. That's a whole again. Another conversation is not so much what's left off the list, but how they rated these things. I mean, uh, does Vertigo, anybody here believe that Vertigo should be number nine on the top ten list? 
Vertigo is one of those movies that if you really, really love it, it is a terrifically poetic film uh, with, however, I will say if you take out the Bernard Herrmann music, that movie sits like a lump of clay. Talk about music really building the tension in a movie. And I'm a huge Bernard Herrmann fan, as was Hitchcock. And uh, I think that it's woven so beautifully into the film. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, it was an unbeatable combination. And does it deserve to be top 10? No. Like I said, let's take number nine Vertigo and replace it with North by Northwest in a hot spot. Uh, but I wouldn't replace it with North by Northwest because I don't believe that, that was a, that good a movie either. That's just, again, we're talking subjective and there I am. I'm, I well, do it looks like you got two out of three against you, babe, because yeah. I want North by Northwest in there too. Now, Look at these movies behind. All About Eve is number 20, 29, 26. Are you kidding? And I'm sorry. All About Eve is, is number 28. Double Indemnity is number 29. And Vertigo is number nine. No way. So, again, when they made up this list, as Julian said, how do they do it? What's their criteria? What were they doing? This is a great organization. You're, you're not talking about shop liver here. This is the AFI. By the way, 10 years after... Um... Of 2001, exactly 10 years, uh, Coppola does Apocalypse Now. And I would maintain that that's another movie that people saw high, because if you you had to be high to understand what Marlon Brando was mumbling in the last third of the movie. That was my biggest complaint about Apocalypse Now. You've got Marlon Brando mumbling. How entertaining is that? Uh, how about the fact that the movie... Spends three quarters of the time saying, man, wait, you see Kurtz, wait, you see Kurtz, wait, you see Kurtz, you know, and then, and then you see Kurtz, this big blob who is babbling <laughs> away and, and who cares? And I mean, it was a pretty good movie up until then, I thought. And but, Kurtz was Betty Grable's legs. Yeah, that's right. Mike, what about you? Is there a film or two that you'd like to see on this list? I would have loved to seen something like Young Frankenstein on this list. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. But like Steve was saying earlier, it didn't seem like there was a lot of comedy representation on here at all. They, they don't have a Woody Allen film on. They don't. Maybe they have Annie Annie Hall. Maybe they it. have Annie Hall at least. They have Annie Hall, but they, they're missing something like. Yeah, number thirty-five. Well, that's good, but that's probably the only one. And when you when you have that work that he's done, of course, there's been a problem with him. Personally, but you have a lot of problem with Picasso too. Oh, yeah. You don't say his work isn't good. No, but it's also missing. It's a mad, mad, mad world, you know, which would have definitely been on my top one hundred list. Which ones? Which one, Mike? It's a mad, mad, mad world. Yeah, fun movie. Yeah, yeah. And you know, well, here's here's Sound of Music is on there, so the musicals are on. The to leave put in Sound of Music for West Side Story and not have Gigi again makes no sense. Do you think that Dr. Strangelove might be a number nine rather than Vertigo? Because Dr. Strangelove is number 39. It's just, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. No, there's other musicals that I think definitely deserve to be up there that are not up there. And it's, there's so much, but it's all also subjective, as we have been saying. You know, yeah. You know, each one of us has a list probably of 100 that should be on the top 100. And that's the interesting thing with us. Well, yes, it is. But uh, what I maintain is that, again, all of every person uh, has their own opinions on movies. We understand that. This is the AFI. And they're great. We love them. I mean, we can't, I can't say things that are not, I can't say nice, nice, nice enough things about the AFI and what they do. But I would like to think that I'd like to know how they chose this list, I guess, is what I'm saying. That's where this show, it would be great if we could have one of the people who, who did the choosing on the show as a guest and, and ask, you know, where are you at with this? How does, that, how does this work? Uh, you know, uh, uh, King Kong, number 41, maybe, I don't know. There's got to be a, a way they, they did this. Uh, Goodfellas, number 92. Well, they went around to, to critics and executives and people in the business. Uh, it wasn't done arbitrarily. They did go to supposedly a lot of experts. And again, we've said it a hundred times. It's totally personal. It's totally subjective. And frankly, 
I think all of us could probably put our, as Mike said, a list together, and I would say maybe two-thirds of that list would be on it, but a good third would not. Here, according to Google, uh, the American Film Institute Top 100 list was chosen by a poll of more than 1,500 artists and leaders in the film industry who chose from a list of 400 nominated movies. So they were primarily nom- uh, dealing with films that have been nominated by the Oscar Academy, uh, which is... Um, are you sure it was from the Oscars? Are you sure that was the criteria? I think so. The I think so. that's the, they say the 400 nominated movies. So when they say nominated movies, you generally conclude that must be the Oscars because the only organization that has the respect has, is to me the Oscar Academy. But I could interpret it, Steve, another way, which is that they, these were the ones that these people together nominated. Just they nom not necessarily from the Oscars. I don't think they would do that from I don't think that would be their criterion, but we should try to find out. We can. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. I think I think that some of these choices uh on the top one hundred, you look at them real hard, are basically indefensible. Uh it is indefensible to not have Dr. Zhivago or close encounters or third kind on the list at all. That's there's no there's no case that can be made for that. So, as I say, it would be great to have somebody on who maybe thinks, well, here's why it shouldn't be. I don't know what that argument would be, but um, let's go back to the top 10 and see if we if we disagree with what's on the top 10. Let's just stay there. Do we all agree Citizen Kane should be there? Now, I've came to the party very late with Citizen Kane. I've been hearing about this movie for years. This movie is 83 years old. I finally, I finally sat down last year and watched it from stem to stern, and I thought that it was a very well-made movie. But I will also say that the last third of the movie, uh, Orson Welles gets very repetitious. Um, I think well, Citizen Kane is always nominated as a Best Picture candidate because of its filmmaking technique. Orson introduced a lot of things in movies that had not been done before in terms of flashbacks, in terms of the use of light. I think Greg Tolan was the cinematographer and did incredible things with the use of light. It's it's a movie that's studied incessantly in film schools. But I could probably name 20 movies I would put at number one ahead of Citizen Kane. Now, like I said, Citizen Kane's 83 years old. There are newer movies of the last 50 years that I would put ahead of it. I would put The Godfather as number one, not number two. They have it. They have it as number two. But I respectfully disagree with you, Steve. Uh, Citizen Kane is, if it's not number one, it's certainly a top ten film. It's a, one of the great greatest films I've ever seen. So I respectfully disagree. I think Julian probably does too, but I won't speak for him. Um, Julian, I do. Do you do you respectfully disagree? Well, you know, it's a funny thing. You start out with the fact that a man made a movie, his first movie. He had never made a movie before. And we're now talking about uh, 83 years ago, as Steve said. The idea that he actually dug holes on the floor, Greg Tolan, and it was Greg Tolan, to put the camera in places that no one had ever shot before. So what is, the again, the criterion? Is it how important the film was then, or is it only how important it is now? I would argue that then it would definitely be the number one film. Now, I would have to say I don't think so. I just don't. Well, I'm not sure if it's a number one film. I'm saying it's certainly a top ten film, but if it, as number one, I, I couldn't argue with it. I certainly couldn't argue with Godfather or Casablanca, which they have as number three, uh, or Raging Bull. Raging Bull is just an outstanding, incredible movie, uh, especially if you come from the Bronx like, like we do. But what a, what a movie. Um, Lawrence of Arabia can't argue with it. Eight Schindler's List. These are the top ten. Vertigo, we've mentioned already. I would argue with that all the way. Wizard of Oz, number ten, can't argue with that. So, if if there's a couple of movies in here that that we would replace, what would what would we replace them with in the top ten? Anybody? Star Wars, Network, Cabaret. It it just you know it's so hard to do this for me anyhow because that's the purpose of what we're doing. 
No, I'm saying, but it's difficult because it's it's difficult because they're again. I would say there are great musicals. How do you compare a great musical to uh, a science fiction movie or whatever? It just they're not they're not comparable. So I don't know. Anyhow, my number one movie would be Casablanca. I think it's a perfect movie. I've never ever ever not watched it where I said there's not a moment that I didn't think I would have trimmed or cut or anything. It's just perfect. And the irony of it is they didn't even have a script. At night, they were writing the Epstein brothers and, and Howard Koch, not the Howard Koch that we knew, uh, Arthur. But uh, they were writing at night for the next day. Bogart was moaning about the fact they didn't have the lines. But when it's all said and done, to me, great. And we I played would, it. We I played would it put, I would put. I would put Godfather number two. I loved it. Just loved it. We, we we played Casablanca at the Gateway Theater in Fort Lauderdale as part of a classic film festival. I went over there on a Saturday night. We had a full house. Casablanca stands up a thousand percent in front of that audience. They loved it. And you can see it's on the screen. So if one of the questions is, well, what's how do you figure this out? It's in the eyes. Look at it. Look at the movie. Does it stand up? Does it not stand up? Uh, Citizen Kane to me stands up. My God, uh, it's, it's a it's a great film. But I guess the controversy of all this is that uh, we all have our choices, and uh, then there's the people who love certain obscure movies. One of the things they've done here is they put a lot of silent films on the top 100, and I think that that should be a separate list. That's my opinion. Absolutely, it should be a separate list. Uh, they're great movies. Griffith made them. With they did put Intolerance in. By the way, they took Birth of a Nation off. The woke world won again. Mm. Off with the Birth of a Nation. <laughs> but Intolerance is a magnificent motion picture. Uh, but silent films. Uh, you have the general. I mean, you have some great movies. But I don't know how again you compare one with dialogue and one without. You compare. You could compare photography. You could, I guess, you could do photography, but that's about it. What is "Sunrise," a song of two humans from 1927, listed at number 82? I never heard of it. Anybody? Oh, I've heard of it. I've never seen it, but I've certainly have heard of it. It's a, it's one of the most famous films, obviously, of that of that period. Have you heard of it, Steve? Never heard of it. Yeah, I heard of "Sunrise, Sunset." That's a song from Fiddler. <laughs> well, yeah, Annie Hall, I see, is number 35. Bridge in the River Kwai, number 36. That, to me, that's a top 10 film. Anybody disagree? I agree 100%. In fact, if I would take, I, I would take uh, Raging Bull, which is a very good movie, and I could easily replace it with Bridge in the River Kwai. In fact, I would keep Raging Bull there. I would take out Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind has been disagreed. Ooh, yeah. ooh, ooh. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry, Victor Fleming. Sorry, Clark Gable. Star, sorry, Vivian Lee. By the way, I for the first time, and I've had to catch up on some of the films because I, I, I had gaps. For the first time last week, I, I watched number 47, a streetcar named Desire. I'd never seen Kazan's masterpiece. And after seeing Vivian Lee portray Blanche Dubois, I, I was in true awe of her performance. I represented Kazan for 40 years on a handshake on the three movies he made for Warner Brothers that reverted to him after 10 years. That was uh, Face in the Crowd, Baby Doll, and America, America. What I want to tell you about Streetcar will fascinate all of you. I hope it fascinates the listener, but I know you guys will be. We all know how much time it takes for actors to sit around and wait while the crew sets up the lights. It's an enormous time. It could be days or weeks, but it certainly is hours. Kazan, knowing that he was making a streetcar named Desire in an interior movie like 12 Angry Men, basically in one set, he built the set twice next to each other. He built the two sets next to each other. So the actors rehearsed in one while the crew set up the lights and whatever they had and set the props. And then he just took them from there, fresh from the rehearsal. Nobody waited, and they shot. 
And you can see that, how brilliant Brando is in that movie, Vivian Lee, Tim Hunter, Carl Malden. It's an incredible movie. But what a brilliant thing to do. Now, economically, it's expensive to do something like that. But maybe at the end, it's not, because you're certainly going to come in under budget and under time. So it's interesting. Well, I think his On the Waterfront is probably, if not his main masterwork, it's right up there. Uh, oh, sure. I agree. On the Waterfront, an incredible film. Uh, well, number certainly, certainly he was a Brando fan. I think I've read over the years that Brando's style of acting introduced in pictures like Streetcar was so different than a lot of the male acting that was going on in those days. I think they said that he brought a kind of physical, just a palpable emotional texture to his performance that you hadn't seen. Uh, Julian, you're the master of this kind of uh, discussion. What, what's your feeling about Brando and why he was so unique? I'll tell a story that Kazan told me. In On the Waterfront, Brando is walking and starting to get involved with Eva Marie Saint. She drops a glove. He picks it up and he starts to put his fingers in the glove in a very sensual, sexual way. Not in the script at all. Kazan told me, I said, because I asked him, was that in the script? He said, no. I said, so it was all Brando? He said, I made one contribution. I said, what? When she dropped the glove, the cameraman said to me, should I cut? And Kazan said, I'll kill you if you cut. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I would say that Brando was an extraordinary actor. And uh, I, it's very interesting that today the younger actors uh, worship Sean Penn. That's their Brando of the day. When we speak with them, they all talk in how great Sean Penn is. So. It, it does change as it goes along. But the thing about Brando was, as you said, you just felt that pain or you felt that anger and it came across celluloid, which is not easy. There was a young man who came out to California uh, and uh, his the dad had called me and said if he could possibly have lunch with him. He went to film school uh, and be helpful in any way, which I was happy to do. So I had lunch with the young young guy and nice, nice fellow. Went to film school and uh, I said, you know, one of the things I think is important for any film school student is to watch the classics, look at the classic movies, get yourself a DVD and sit down and watch the classics. You want to be an actor, you want then you want to take a look at, let's say, On the Waterfront and look at Marlon Brando. And so wait a minute, wait, how does Marlon Brando, is that M-A-R-L-O-N? He's writing it down. And I said, have, you've never heard of Marlon Brando? And he said, no. Is that B-R-A-N? I said, what film school did you go to yes. <laughs> where you didn't? And I, I won't mention which one, but uh, he'd never heard of Marlon Brando. And he's, he's looking to be an actor. Uh, it would seem to me that anybody who's looking to be an actor would want to see, want to go back and take a look at him. And also take a look at Jimmy Dean uh, and uh, even certainly Cary Grant and, you know, the, the great film actors. Uh, but um you know, back to the list, uh, they have movies here like Network at 64. I mean, I don't know. To me, it's, it's it should be higher than that. Uh, Duck Soup at 60. Rocky at 57. Great movie. Taxi Driver at 52. Do we agree with that? I don't. No, I certainly don't think so. We agree it should be on the list. Nope, not in the first hundred. It's a, it's uh, a well-made movie. But I, I don't see it in there. I, I Look, I don't see Forrest Gump there in the first hundred. I mean, it, it's, it's... No, Forrest Gump's there. Forrest Gump's there. No, I say I don't see it as one that I would put in oh, the first oh. hundred. Yeah, no, I know it's there. I'm, that's, that. Here's a movie I would never put into this list, and that's called Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf at 67. Why? I can't Anybody answer agree? that why. I can't answer that why. I, I love Mike. And I know it was his first movie. It was a huge success, nominated for five Academy Awards. But it, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be in my first hundred either. Yeah. So there you have a situation where you have Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf at sixty-seven, and Saving Private Ryan at seventy-one. It just makes no sense. Well, getting back to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, the film that beat it for Best Picture that year isn't on the list. At least I haven't seen it. Um, 
It's uh, a man for all seasons. Now, for Should many absolutely be on the list. I, uh, for many years, now I'm. For, and when it comes to '66, the film I'm a big fan of that year is Robert Wise's *The Sand Pebbles*, which gave Steve McQueen his only asking acting nomination. But uh, I always said that uh, what is this movie, *A Man for All Seasons*, which I hadn't seen. What, how could you beat the Sand Pebbles, which was just a really terrific movie, very, very prescient movie for our Vietnam experience. And yet I finally saw A Man for All Seasons. It's a stunning achievement. And, and Paul Schofield is amazing in the lead character in that movie. Uh, and yet A Man for All Seasons, neither Man for All Seasons or the Sand Pebbles from that year are not on the list. And you've got Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? which could easily be replaced by either of those. Well, A Man for All Seasons, if you think that Paul Schofield was great in the movie, you should have sat on Broadway to watch that man do A Man for All Seasons. If you wanted a top 10 list of the greatest Broadway performances I've ever seen, Paul Schofield in A Man for All Seasons. What a great actor. What a great actor. Ian McKellen in Amadeus. Paul Muni in Inherit the Wind. I saw the greats on stage, and I'll never be unhappy about that aspect of it. Paul Schofield is in two of my my favorite, most underrated movies. One is a movie called Train, John Frankenheimer with Burt Lancaster, John Moreau. Love that movie. Uh, another is called The Quiz Show uh, that Robert Redford uh, directed. Paul Schofield, fantastic. In that. He's great in anything he did. He's yeah, he was. great actors. Mark Van Doren, he played the historian Mark Van Doren, the father of Charles oh, boy. Van Doren. It was, it's a great, great film. And then there's another little thing called Judgment in Nuremberg. And, and I would debate that one of, I mean, it has to be one of the great, great performances of all time was, was uh, Maximilian uh, Schell. Maximilian Schell. Uh, wow. <laughs> you know, uh, well, speaking of Stanley Kramer, another film of his I would put on the list immediately is On the Beach. Where's On the Beach? It's on the beach. <laughs> it's, <been> beach. <laughs> it's sitting on the beach. It should it's be right, on the list. Right behind you. <laughs> you know what's interesting, guys? Uh, I just finished a book uh, written by um, a gentleman named Scott Iman. I'd like to see if we can get him as a guest. Uh, which is John Wayne, The Life and the Legend, a 900-page book. Great book about John Wayne. Very interesting guy. Uh, as he says in the book, uh, Cary Grant and Gary Cooper and those guys are basically gone. John Wayne lives on. Uh, he's, you know, he was, it became an institution. Uh, they have listed here as number 12, The Searchers. Do we agree with that? Yes. I, well, I'm a, I'm such a student of John Wayne, and uh, interestingly, it's the only film of his on the list. Uh, I think they bypassed True Grit, which is probably his second most famous. But there's ten other John Wayne movies I could easily put on the list for my own purposes, but they would probably not be there. I mean, um, well, certainly Stagecoach uh, would be one, and uh, it was trunk. on the list. It was on the original list, and it, it got knocked off. Well, they don't have Red River. Red River is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Great movie. Howard Hawks. And his Cavalry trilogy, anchored by the first one, Fort Apache, is one of the great Westerns. There's there's not a lot of Western uh, glory here in the top 100 list. Um, well, I hope they have High Noon. I hope they do. They do. They do. High Noon they is do. there. High Noon is there. They have Unforgiven. The Eastwood Unforgiven. Great movie. Um. Butch Cassidy is there. Yeah. Um, they always put wild, the Wild Bunch on these lists. It's number 79. I would always say that I'm a much bigger fan of The Professionals, which is a Richard Brooks film with Lee Marvin, Burt Lancaster, Woody Strode, and Robert Ryan. I find that a far better film and far uh, just... But I think, Receive, what, what happens here is they, they, the Wild Bunch kind of revolutionized things. Did that come before Bonnie and Clyde or after? After. After. Ah, well, Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde, Clyde. Is 67, I believe, and uh, Wild Bunch is 69. 
Well, Wild yeah. Bunch wouldn't make in my top 100 whatsoever. You know, it's interesting. To me, I want to be moved. I want to walk into a movie one feeling and have another when I leave. I want to know that the movie changed how I was thinking or feeling. The Wild Bunch didn't do that for me. It's just a violent movie, and it's a Western. It's okay. But, you know, when we talked earlier about Casablanca, we talked about Godfather. It's incredible. These films move you. Yeah. And, and, and that's what, to me, is the most important thing. Remember a little movie called Defiant Ones? Sure, sure. Tony Curtis, Sidney Poitier. I wonder how it holds up today. Julian, if you want to be moved, you should put Earthquake on the list. I was. I put it in the Ziegfeld. We had sense around. We shook the <laughs> damn theater, Steve. <laughs> However, it wouldn't make my first 300. Let alone it's a lot. It's a lousy movie, but I will pick. I will pick a, a top 100 disaster movie in a hot second. I will pick the Towering Inferno, the best of the disaster movies. I'd burn it down, Steve. No, not wouldn't make my wouldn't make my 100. I'd burn it right down for oh, me. Here's a movie please. they listed. Here's a movie they listed at number 83. And this is a truly great, great movie. Apart from being the biggest grossing movie of all time, Titanic at number 83. Great film. Not for me. Well, you know, that's a great movie. I mean, you a look friend at this of mine. Like, I went with a friend of mine who's turned to me at one point and said, "When is this boat going to sink?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it sunk. It sunk to about two billion dollars. Yeah, well, not, but it's not about money. We're trying to talk about quality, not about money. This, this is this, this is a damn capitalist. Country, we've got to get to quality a little bit. In my opinion, uh, there are certain movies that are big, huge hits that are not just commercial and blah, blah, blah. Jaws is one of them. E.T. is one of them. Uh, Titanic is one of them. These are not bad movies. Okay, we're, we're, talking about a, we're talking about a lot of movies that are now 30, 25, 30 years old. Can someone name a movie? In the last 20 years, since 2000, say 2004, that you would put on your top 100 list? That's a great question. And I know right now my answer. I can't. I would say King's Speech, and King's Speech does not appear in here. Good movie. No question. I don't know if it's in the top 100, but it's a damn good movie. I agree, Arthur. I don't know if it makes it in the top 100. Top 100 based on some of these things. There are two movies that I've actually three movies that I thought were wonderful. They're probably not the top 100s, but I found them just completely entertaining. One was uh, Ridley Scott's The Martian, Matt Damon. I think that movie is enormously entertaining and and fascinating to watch. The other movie uh, is the latest Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is fascinating the way he takes apart a real story and turns it into a myth. Uh, both of those movies would be in my top 100. Pulp Fiction is on here, right? Pulp Fiction is on there. That's the only, uh, I think, the only presence of Terrence. Here's two, here's two films that are missing. One is called Risky Business. Great little uh, movie, Tom Cruise. Sure. sure. And the other one's called Rain Man. Rain Man's a great film. Great Won the Academy Award. Uh, well, you so, know, is Fargo on there? Is Fargo on that list? Fargo is not on the list. And I'll tell you, that's one of the best movies I've seen. Fargo is on the list. Great picture. Is it on the list? Oh, yes, it is. Well, we have, on there, Mike? We have, this is the controversy. Is it on the list? Is it not on the list? Actually, Fargo Let's... was on the previous list. It came. It was one of the films that came off. It came so off. it's not on the up-to-date list. Exactly. And therefore, I protest. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll, I'm going to throw out a title that for me is personally uh, a good 100, top 100 list, but isn't within striking distance, is the James Bond movie Goldfinger, 1964, celebrating Agreed. its uh, Agreed. anniversary, uh, excuse me, 60th anniversary this year. Goldfinger is a perfect Bond movie. Is and he, not on the list. Is he the man with the Midas touch? A spider's touch. Ah, I thought so. I thought so. <laughs> tell me, tell me, guys, uh, 
is Amadeus on the list at all? No. It's not on the list. Unbelievable. I mean, I want a new list. Right now, I feel we have to, you know what we should do? We should form our list. Not tonight or today, whatever time it is. But we should form our list and maybe send it to them. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. They do these lists now where they take the Oscars and they give you the alternative Oscars, you know, because they over the course of time, Oscars have made some very curious uh, choices for Best Picture. The most glaring, of course, was 1952 when they, they put Cecil B. DeMille's The Greatest Show on Earth ahead of High Noon, which to uh, me was a gross, <laughs> gross. <laughs> the Greatest Show on Earth is nowhere near the top 500. <laughs> now, I have to tell you, Julian, I actually liked The Greatest Show on Earth because I'm a When big was the last time you saw it? I saw it last year. And no kidding. And you I, liked it. I liked it. It's because I like three of the characters, actually four of the characters. I like Charlton Heston. I like, um, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm forgetting her name. Uh, you don't like her that much, Steve. Yes. Well, there's Gloria Graham and then there's Betty Hutton. And in Cornell Wilde. Cornell Wilde is wonderful as the trapeze artist, along with Betty Hutton. The characters are fun, but the the, the way the circus is portrayed, the acts are done with su such lifelessness, it could have been done much better. How about the sting? Is the sting on there? No. Nope. has to be. Now, come no. on. I mean, it's not on the list. Now, I think I've had a, just about enough of this list. <laughs> right. Well, that's the point of the whole show. <laughs> oh, well, good. I mean, not having the sting, not having, I mean, some of these, Gigi, I'm having a tough time. The third man, oh, my God, Harry Lyme doesn't make the list, please. I mean, Sophie's Choice at number 91. Sophie's Choice was a good movie. Was it one of the greatest movies of all time? I think more people have forgotten Sophie's Choice than remember it. So she's, it's not a choice for you, obviously. Obviously not my choice. <laughs> Stephen's choice is to replace it. One of the movies that are missing here, too, uh, is a great movie that arguably has as great a film score as ever been done. And that would be The Natural uh, with Redford, directed by Levinson, and the score by Randy Newman. Uh, that movie comes flying off the screen when that when that when the ending of that movie is uh, is unbelievable. Uh, the mix of the score plus the vision. Um did you, guys, did, you, did you guys like Shakespeare in Love? I liked it. Yeah. Wouldn't put it on this list. Okay. No, wouldn't make wouldn't make the list for me either. Okay. No. How did Patton how did Patton get left off? One of the great performances of all time. George E. Scott. That was mm -hmm. surprising to me too. It's interesting because uh, Patton is not on the list, but the movie MASH is. Yeah. And well, I didn't a groundbreaker, Mike. It was a groundbreaker. Mm -hmm. you know. MASH was taken off this list, Mike. Oh, no, you're right. It's, 50 no, it's, here. it's on there. No, it's there. No, yeah. Ma what Arthur said is right. MASH changed the, the playing field for a lot of movies after that, uh, as Jaws did years later. I mean, that's why I guess one of their criterions that if it, because I, again, I go back to why would Easy Rider be on there as a top 100 movies? unless it was the idea that culturally it did change and it did change the movie business. I mean, they were making strawberry statement, uh, uh, the, the magic garden of Stanley sweetheart. I mean, they were making movies for the young people. They thought, and every one of them bombed everyone. Here's an interesting one. Uh, they had a, there was a director's sneak preview uh, of a movie called Nashville in Boston at the Sharif theater. And uh, I was involved with the people who owned the theater. So I was sitting next to Robert Altman, uh, president of the, the theaters. The, the circuit of theaters was sitting on the right. Robert Altman was sitting in the middle. And I'm sitting on the left uh, to, uh, to Altman. And the movie is playing. And as the movie is playing, the audience starts booing. And after they start booing, they start walking out. And Robert Altman says, they love my movie. Look at this. It's great. They're loving it. They're walking out on it, Bob. Uh, <laughs> you sure that you sure that list, Arthur, that Arthur is, are you, it's number 59. Arthur, are you sure they weren't going out to get popcorn? I'm sure. 
Nashville was a very interesting movie for me, Arthur and Steve and Mike. Um, it was, uh, I think, his best movie. And so I, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it being on the list, but I would probably make it 100 or 99. I think his best movie was Player. Yeah, that was a good movie, and but it certainly I, wasn't I, Popeye. But I, yeah, I think Player is more for people in the business than for the public. Well made film, though, boy, good film. It was, it was, it was indeed. Well, anyway, I, they have Nashville at number fifty-nine. That's that's a tough one. Jaws at number fifty-six. I don't know. I'd uh, move Jaws up. Me too. Cabaret at number sixty-three. I think uh, Jaws would take a big bite out of this list. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know what's an interesting choice here too is uh, Sunset Boulevard. To me, that's a, if ever I've seen a top ten film, that's that's it. Number sixteen, it's close at least. The Graduate, seventeen, I understand that. The General, nineteen twenty six. Well, that belongs on silent. One of the great, one of the great Buster Keaton movies of all time, but not in this list because you shouldn't be putting silent silent movies with talkies. Here's a here's a comedy that I think should be on the list, and we we talk about Danny Kay. Quite a bit because we love Danny Kay. What about the court jester? Isn't that a perfect spoof? Palace with the chalice. The chalice with the palace. Yeah, it's a great. (laughs) The vessel with the pestle has the brew that is true. That is true. (laughs) That's Sylvia Fine, and we should all recognize the great Sylvia Fine, who was married at that point to Danny Kay and wrote all these extraordinary lyrics, and a woman I knew very well. Here's Chinatown at nineteen at uh, in, in number twenty one. Move it up. That belongs. Move it up. Yeah, move it up. It's a great movie. Mister Smith goes to Washington twenty six. High noon twenty seven. All about Eve number twenty eight, and that is a world class movie. All that dialogue. Um, yeah. Double Indemnity twenty nine. So I understand those. You know, eh, sure thirty. Interesting. They put they put Maltese Falcon on at thirty one, but they did not put, as I recall, uh, the African Queen, which is arguably one of Bogey's best performances. You sure they missed that, Steve? I, I'm looking. I'm, oh no, I'm wrong. They said sixty five. Okay, so at yeah. least they got that one covered. Yeah. Well, look. Again, to show you the craziness of the list, and with all due respect to the AFI, I mean that. Uh, it's hard for me to, to have Godfather number two and Godfather part two number 32. That makes no sense whatsoever. That is an entry if ever I've seen one. They're both number two, you know, so. Okay, so I'm going to go around the room now. Your two favorite movies of all time on your own personal list. Two favorite movies. We'll start with Mike. Of course. Poor Mike. Oh, I know. Um, truthfully, one of them you've already mentioned, which was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I definitely think should be on the list. Would be probably in the top ten. But also, I'm thinking I would love and probably I'd love to see Close Encounters on this list. Sure. And um, also... I know Judy would kill me if I didn't include this. Um, probably the Music Man, also Robert Preston. I think great movie, fun movie. Yeah, and it's a great a- adaptation of the musical and of the Broadway play. So I think I think they carried it over, and it's timeless. It's one of those movies that takes you back whenever you watch it, and it's one of those that capture it also. So. Those would be my three, and I don't didn't see on this of uh, the Dark Knight, also by Christopher Nolan, would probably be yeah, four. Batman. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a movie here listed as number ninety eight that I I defy anybody to tell me that, that should be ninety eight and not much lower. Yankee Doodle Dandy, Jimmy Cagney at his best, great great movie musical certainly. Uh, but uh, uh, Arthur, what's your favorite too? If I had to choose my favorite films, Bridge in the Requi would probably be a real strong number one. And Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Uh, <laughs> Made me laugh. Made me laugh. <laughs> uh, Quiet and 
Casablanca, probably. Uh, there you go. You know, Julian? It works. It works. Casablanca, Godfather, and I'm singing in the rain. Godfather, how can I leave it out? Yeah. And my it's an impossible top, choice. My top film Steve of all Reno. time. My top Tell film of all time isn't on the list. The Great Escape. Oh, yeah. Not on the list. Not on the list. And my second favorite, I would have to go with Julian singing in the rain. Well, you know, uh, when Frank Sinatra died, Larry King did a special show on him. And as his guests, he had Steve Lawrence and Vic Damone and Tony Bennett uh, discussing Sinatra. And, and Larry King throws says, if you had to choose one great Sinatra recording, what would it be? And Steve Lawrence said, it's impossible. You can't possibly choose one. He had too many. And they all said the same thing. That's kind of true here. It's hard to choose one or two. I mean, you know, a uh, hundred may be too many, but certainly 20 is, is not and probably 50 is not. Uh, but uh, sure, you know, Close Encounters have got to be up there, guys. It can't not be on this list. Dr. Zhivago cannot be in this list. I'll give you a movie that I would put on any list, and that's Day of the Jackal, not mentioned here. Wasn't a very popular movie, big book, but a great movie, uh, you know, the we, original. We should, uh, we'll devote a show. We should also have our guilty pleasure list, which are movies that perhaps some people think are awful, but we love them. Everybody has a guilty pleasure. I don't well, want to feel, I don't want to, I don't want to feel guilty about it, Steve. <laughs> Steve, where do they have all the president's men? It's there. It's there. Oh, it better be. It better. Be. You know a movie that I don't. I'm sure they don't have. Oh, and it answers a question. In the last twenty years, I have to say, Good Night and Good Luck. I thought Great that movie, was a terrific film. Yeah, and that's a recent, huh, somewhat recent film. That is somewhat right. recent. Absolutely. Where's Sleepless in Seattle? Where's When Harry Met Sally? Yeah. These are these are popular movies, and they're well made, and they're terrific. They're movies. But we have to, if we're doing this, and Mike and Steve, we have to throw things off. And that's our question. Well, you we start with the silent films. The silent films should be in a separate list. So yeah, that's right. There's only, there's only two or three, I think, Intolerance and Sunrise and, and The General. I think those are the only ones. But I saw a movie the other night, Steve, especially you. I'm going to point to you. Did you ever see Notting Hill? And they used every commercial gimmick you could possibly think of and it's also obvious but it works you know it's oh, a good movie. The, the movie he made before yeah. that four weddings and a funeral is another classic romantic comedy how about pretty woman before we reach pretty woman exactly yeah. another huge one it's not on the list we've reached the end of our show and uh, as we always say each week we welcome you to subscribe to our podcast uh, arthur julian mike and i love doing this show we love sharing our love of film and all pop cultural with you. Please sign up and it's free to join our podcast. We're available on all of the classic podcast sites. We also have a Facebook page now and an Instagram page. And we love when you recommend us to your friends to keep this uh, party going. And Steve, also, I'd like to interrupt you for one moment. Please, to all our listeners, email us with your favorite choices. What are your top 10? What are your top 10 films? And let them be yours. They don't have to be everybody else's. You, you, have, you have special choices. Let's hear from you. And the and email all address you, is? All you need to do is write to talesfromhollywoodland at gmail.com. We also want to wish a very big happy birthday to our producer, Mike Faber. Happy birthday, Mike. Many happy returns. Absolutely. And to all of our fans, even though it's already been almost a month, we can still keep wishing you Happy New Year because it's going to be a great year. <laughs> and from the list and from the list of the greatest country western titles of songs, we have I'm So Miserable Without You, It's Like Having You Here. <laughs> There's also Thank God and Greyhound, She's Gone. <laughs> Just so many of these. That's All right. Goodbye and good luck. Good night and good luck. Hey, Leah. Hey, Sean. You know what now is a good time for? What's that? A promo for the Soul Forge podcast. 
The Soul Forge? What's that? Oh, it's a show. It's a podcast all about sex and dating. Love and relationships. Pop culture and movie reviews. Adventure. Almost anything you can think of. Definitely. What is it? The Soul Forge. The Soul Forge Podcast. Think about it. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.